0: You all can take a seat and welcome, welcome. I'm Pastor Chris. It's great to see some some new faces, familiar faces too. I hate to say the word old because I get... Uh, Uh, Chided for that, but that's okay, too. So welcome. We're glad you're here. And um, I believe Pastor Becky and the children, uh, they've been dismissed to go to their special time together, too, as they learn about the Advent story. And um, this is always an exciting time of year. as I shared last week, I love the Christmas lights. As you can see, we've added lights to our surroundings here in the sanctuary. And those of you that are worshiping online, you probably see a little bit of that too, but we are lighting this place up both inside and out. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Well, a, a couple years ago, uh, the church I was serving, I shared this a little bit of the story before, but we hosted an event called Breakfast with Santa, and you've probably been to one or seen them around. It's kind of a breakfast time, mainly about the pictures with Santa that people are so scurrying about trying to get with their kids, and we had hosted it uh, one year. We'd taken it on from a church that was basically a dying church. That's a whole other story, an event that they hosted for many years, and we kind of took it as our own as a, a new church and started this event, and it was a success the first year. We had several hundred people show up, and we're planning a second year. Well, the good news was I had collected a bunch of email addresses from people, people that had attended, and I wanted to invite them back. Of course, they had such a great time before. You know, come on back, have some pictures, have some breakfast, that kind of thing. So of course, you all know it's so crazy around this time. You have like a million things going on in your head, right? So sometimes like your body parts or your fingers, especially when you're typing emails, don't actually line up with what you're thinking and what you should be saying. And so I was writing emails to this list of people and typing super, super fast. And this is kind of what came up here. You see the topic, inviting you to breakfast with Santa, right? Isn't that awesome? And if you can kind of squint and see what's in the text. We're so excited that was breakfast with Santa. Satan. One letter makes all the difference. Quickly, quickly. And I sent this to about a hundred (laughs) people and got quite a few emails back with little smiley faces, some with like the little emoji, the little like devil horn things. And fortunately, everybody had a really good laugh and said, "Pastor Chris, you need to slow down when you are typing or take some typing lessons, right?" And so everybody had grace for me, and we still had people show up. We had nobody called the, like the news and said we were like doing some crazy stuff at that church and having you know not breakfast with Santa, but sit on satan 's lap i don 't know why you would do that. that didn't happen. So much grace was extended, and i, I couldn 't help but think. Especially like this year. Imagine uh, had that happened like today, like if like say we would be hosting something like that, and I would have done something like that. Like we probably, I don't know, we probably had some very angry people. Like been all over the news. Like I said, this was about like five, six, six years ago. Uh, I feel like we're in a time right now that grace is in a very, very short supply. And maybe you can agree with me on that. I mean, I even find myself, and I admit this, I find myself, I treat people more harshly and even react to things that maybe in other times I never would have. I react like to, you know, kind of a couple degrees up on that. Other times I, I, that wouldn't even bother me. And and I have to say, like, I, you know, I doubt I'm the only one here that has been experiencing this, especially all that has really taken place almost for the last two years, right? That maybe it's because of the tension that we've experienced in society, the pandemic and politics and the news and all this that's just going on. Everybody's kind of up here already. It seems harder and harder for us to reflect grace to people around us. And this matters, this matters. This matters because good relationships require that we offer grace to imperfect people. In order to have good relationships, they require that we offer grace to, important, to imperfect people. It's kind of like a car engine. I don't know if you have any car guys here, anybody watching online. But, but the parts, the parts in a car engine are designed to work together, but without oil, without oil, they destroy each other. And you know this, if ever you've had that little light go on and you ignored that. The engine is a very expensive thing to replace. And I think like, grace is kind of like the oil in a relationship, in, an, in church, in society, that it enables people who are very different from one another to work together without destroying one another. So we're in week two of our Advent series. We're in week two of Advent overalls. We've lit our second candle today. We're in week two of our series that we're calling Illuminate. And in this series, we're looking at dark places. We're looking at dark places, but we're also looking at how light can still be found in them. And our key scripture for this series comes from John 1.5. And I want to invite you to, to share this with me today. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Let's say it one more time. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And last week, we talked about waiting in the story of, of Simeon and Anna and how waiting is often this very dark place we find ourselves, but how waiting can actually be a gift. That's where we find the light in it. And this week, this week, we're going to talk about grace. Grace. Grace which has the capacity... For us to share in and to help light the darkness. And today we're going to read a story that's really, I think, all about grace... It's from Matthew's account of the story of Jesus' birth. You know, we have four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. They're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only two of them really share in the story of Christmas. Uh, John has his own version from which we get that scripture we just shared. But we're going to read from Matthew's account of the story of Jesus' birth. And Matthew's is the only one that focuses on the story of Joseph. And as far as Joseph goes, We really don't know much about him, even historically. But but in this little snippet that we're going to read, we learn the kind of person that Joseph was. So we're going to check out Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is also printed in your programs, and your bulletins, if you want to take that out and read along, as well as other notes for the um, sermon today. So Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So the story of Joseph, the story of Joseph, we learn a lot in, in this short little passage, um, the story opens, of course, with Mary, who is pregnant. And presumably, without knowing exactly what had transpired or her version of this story, presumably, from an outsider's perspective, this is adultery. It's adultery. Of course, we know, if we read Luke's version of the Christmas story, we know that it's not and we know that Mary was, uh, conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit. She was visited by an angel who told her so. But we have to remember that Joseph doesn't know that. He doesn't know that at this point. He wasn't there with Mary when that news happened. And especially considering adultery in the first century, this was a pretty big deal. That if you were betrothed to somebody, it wasn't just like, hey, you know, you got into like a really nice ring to wear. It was being betrothed was a legally binding contract between two parties. And it was a process. And in Jesus' time, punishments for adultery existed because there was a really strict law in the Old Testament that prescribed that. So, And that comes from a book that you all love named Leviticus. If you ever read the Bible, that's usually where people stop. But Leviticus verse, uh, uh, chapter 20 verse 10 says this, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Whoa, right? Not much wiggle room there. But, but the thing is, scholars believe, actually, get this, they believe that by the time that this was happening, when Mary and Joseph were together, um, it, people kind of lessened the this, this, uh, severity of the punishment. That, that most of the time, people were not really put to death for adultery, but there was still severe punishment. So Joseph's options, though, as a punishment for Mary, ranged from, from that capital punishment all the way down to what would be considered severe humiliation. Basically, when you are labeled and named for the rest of your life and there is no escape from that. But we see from the scripture and from the story that Joseph didn't do any of those things. He didn't choose anything from those gamut of choices. Verse 19, he didn't do anything that the law required, though he must have felt shame. The story says what? He quietly called it off. He quietly wanted to call it off. Why? Well, If we look at one detail in verse 19, we hear that because Joseph, her husband, was a what man? Righteous. Righteous. He was a righteous man. And get this, this is something we usually read wrong when we read this scripture. Usually we read the word righteous and we think we make the parallel in our heads that that means that he was a good guy. He was a nice guy. But the Greek word that Matthew uses there is this word called diakos, diakos, which means God-fearing, religious, law-honoring, a rule follower. I don't know if you're a rule follower, but he, basically a rule follower when it comes to religious things. It, It shows that he was a person who took Jewish law super, super seriously. He was known for it. He was one of those religiously highly committed people who was there all the time and doing all the right things, that it was in his character to make an example of that behavior, to show everybody else that if you do this, then you will get that. That was part of what he was known for, but instead, instead, he shows what? Grace. Grace, very out of character for what Joseph was actually known for. He, he offers grace here, not because he was righteous, but in spite of his righteousness. He didn't know the full story yet. The angel hadn't come to him in a dream. He probably felt super, super shameful. Think about it. He did nothing to deserve this. He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't the one who had committed adultery. He had the legal right to ostracize her, to get her punished, to make an example, but he didn't. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus' own actions later on in the scriptures are foreshadowed here, right? That, that Jesus' inclination to offer grace was something he was known for. He offered grace to the socially marginalized people, to women, to children, to the richly unclean, to the sick people in need of healing. He offered it — get it this, to foreigners, to enemies. Jesus didn't treat people the way the law prescribed for what they deserved. Instead, he offered grace. And as I think about that, I can't help but think also about my own need to offer grace to the people around me, the people around us. Because we live in a world where grace is not a popular thing, where it's more important to call people out, to make examples of people, and to justify our own behavior. Yet, without grace, think back to that analogy of the car, without grace, relationships become hard and they don't work. It's also, though, a part of what it means to be a Christ follower, that we are reflecting Jesus. We're reflecting specifically the grace of Jesus to those around us, that they may get a glimpse of Jesus through that grace. And I think all of us have a need this season to ask ourselves, to ask God, how might we offer uh, just a little more grace A little more grace to those around us, and that's a story of grace. That's the story of Joseph. Is a story of grace because Joseph, I think, teaches us a couple things about grace. And the first being that grace is undeserved. Grace is known as undeserved favor. And as far as Joseph knew, Mary had harmed and humiliated him. And I can imagine there was probably a little side of people who had heard. Oh. It's the candle. I was <laughs> like, what is that? I hope nothing's catching on fire. So anyway, we will proceed. <laughs> so we told, illuminate, right? You're like, bam, what happened there? You know, the Holy Spirit showed up. So, but, but I can think, imagine that, that the religious people probably at the time who knew Joseph very well, they were probably like cheering him on, right? They're like, yeah, go get her, make an example. Make sure nobody else does anything like this that we shouldn't tolerate it. But Joseph chooses a different way than that kind of crime, mistake, and punishment model. And in in many instances, we operate often how those religious experts operate, don't we? A friend of mine that I was talking to um, was sharing a little bit story of someone who had done something wrong to her. And she was giving her former friend that she called uh, the, the silent treatment. And she decided she was just going to cut off all communication as a form of punishment for this gal who had done wrong to her. And it was interesting because in our conversation, it, it felt to me like she was trying to justify the way that she was acting. It was very interesting. Of course, this person had wronged her in a way, but she was kind of feeding into that, so fighting fire with fire. See, offering grace isn't about what someone deserves. It's not about that. If you're giving grace to someone, they shouldn't deserve it or it wouldn't be grace. So a little little trivia question for you. What do you call a group of people who struggle with lying, cheating, anxiety, loneliness, lust, racism, jealousy, hypocrisy, doubts, trust issues, who eat too much, worry too much, spend too much, smoke too much, medicate too much, but who gather together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light and grace and the world needs more light and grace. What do you call that? The church, y'all. That's the church. Did I miss anybody in there? Any more to add to that list? You know, in fact, if you showed up today and this is your first time with us or watching online and you thought you were surrounded by a bunch of holy people, I just burst your bubble. (laughs) But the thing is, you all know this, that Many of us will invite people to church, and especially this time of year to Christmas Eve services. And the reason they won't come has nothing to do with Jesus. I guarantee you it has far more to do with their previous church experiences that they don't want to repeat and a lack of grace offered by Christians. Grace is undeserved. See, guys, we're the church every day. It's the people. It's not the building. We love our building, but if the building did burn down... We would still be the church. It church is with us every day, wherever we go. And we're either reflecting grace to those around us, or we are a black hole. I don't know if you know anything about black holes. I was doing a little bit of reading this week, one of those like, things that pops up on your news feed that you click here and then you click here and you just, before you know it, you're in a wormhole and you spend an hour and a half reading things. But black holes are, are this object in space that basically absorb everything, including no light can even escape from it. They're, they're so dense that matter actually contracts in on themselves. And I think when it comes to grace, we can often operate like that. And you know this because you've been around someone that has done that to you. You've offered light, and it's like, boom, right? You suck it in. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing. And the church, we have to recognize, is most appealing when grace is most apparent. The church is most appealing when grace is most apparent, and that's because we recognize we all need grace. We need grace from God, but we also need it from one another. Grace isn't about what the law allows. Grace is undeserved and unmerited, and that's what makes it grace. And Joseph, Joseph reminds us of the difference between what's right and what's gracious. That grace is undeserved, but also he shows us that grace is costly. This is the part we don't like a lot. It costs Joseph something. If you offer grace, it'll cost you something as well. A uh, gal that I was um, counseling before, uh, she gave me permission to share this. It's a pretty incredible story, but um, years ago, for decades, she had been severely hurt and abused by her mother. And when she became a young adult, she left home and never went back and never talked to her mom. She had been very, very much hurt by her mom. Maybe you share a similar story. Um, mom never apologized there was always this resentment that she had for her mom. And she came to a point sometime around age 30, 35, that um, she had reconnected with her mom because there were a series of medical things that had come up and she needed history from her family and that's basically what caused her to reconnect. And she just spent some time with God about praying about this. She just felt that resentment bubble up about how her childhood was destroyed. And... She realized, she felt like the Lord was speaking to her to say, you have a choice to continue to punish your mom for what she has done. but For the sake of that relationship, will you recognize that she is never going to do or say what you want and can you accept that? Can you offer her grace? And she did, she did. She, she knew she was not going to change her mother. Her mother was never going to own up to the things that she had done or said in that past and this gal experienced that pain and that hurt. It wasn't easy at all. It was very, very difficult. But it was worth something more. See, Jesus Jesus is described in the Gospels as being full of grace and truth. And all of us, we're full of something. Don't answer that in your head. But we're full of something, Right? And a lot of times we stray from the things that cost us. We don't want to pay a price, even if it is something that is worth it. Even if we have been wronged and our gut instinct is not grace because grace is costly. And all of us have a person in our lives, probably right now, to whom it's very, very difficult to extend grace. That's because grace requires a sacrifice. You might not get, you probably won't get what you want. It's very costly. But also grace recognizes a bigger story. Joseph shows us grace recognizes a bigger story. And you probably heard this quote before. Um, Everyone's fighting a battle you don't know about or some kind of rendition of that. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? You know, I imagine it was probably very ridiculous to Joseph when Mary told him what had happened to her. Uh, it's easy for him to assume what happened. But think about this had Joseph reacted right on the spot he wouldn't have given him time or space to learn that there was a bigger story see everybody's in a story that we don't know everybody you know uh, it, maybe it's it's part of what you've been enduring these last few years or these last few days even uh, I'm sure that if I asked you, and I'm not going to ask you, but if I asked you people, and even in this room and online, to raise your hand, to, to look at the number I, I, of people who have been abused or have suffered depression or have felt abandoned or had medical issues or would say that they're lonely, I'm sure that we would be shocked. You only get to see a small chapter of someone's life, even less than that. And maybe... It's happened to you before that maybe you you kind of spouted off at somebody and then realized later on something that they were going through and it wasn't about that. So uh, maybe maybe you've you've heard somebody's story and it changed your perception of that person and for what how they'd been acting or what they'd been doing. See, offering grace offers us space and time to learn. It doesn't excuse their behavior. I'm not saying that. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but it helps us recognize that their actions may not be all about us. It may not all be about you. We have to resist that immediate action, and grace gives us time to do that. But I think last and most importantly, Joseph shows us that grace is a reflection of Jesus. Grace is a reflection of Jesus. And so you may already know this. So this is kind of the, the truth-telling sermon today, right? We've laughed a little bit. But you may already know this, but you are no angel. You have got wings. There's no halo there. I don't got wings. There's no halo. You are a difficult person. You're difficult to live with. You're difficult to manage. You hurt people intentionally and also unintentionally. But guess what? God in Christ came to dwell in you anyway. See, the story of the incarnation, which means God becoming flesh, God becoming a person, yeah, we celebrate in Advent as we prepare for Christmas. It shows that God extended grace to us by sending Jesus to us. That's why we sing that song every week, Emmanuel, we're singing a new verse every week, Emmanuel, God with us. And not because you did anything to deserve it, See, Jesus, as the light of the world, we're called to reflect him. We're called to reflect him. And the best way we can reflect him is by reflecting the grace that we've received from God, that we've been given from God, that we reflect that to others around us. See, if you know anything about light, light is actually invisible until it hits an object. This a little science part of me—it's—it's it, it's invisible until it hits an object, or until it hits uh, some kind of matter. And air is also part of that matter. If you would shine a light in space where there's a vacuum, you wouldn't actually see any light beams. Only maybe something when it would hit an object or some dust that's floating around there. And so, light only becomes visible when it's experienced, and it's only visible. In the con- grace is only visible in the context of relationships. You can't extend grace without being in relationship with others. But, but this is what we're called to do. A little ornament off my tree. See, if this is Jesus, the light of the world, we reflect. The reflection allows that grace to spread. It allows it to go in different directions that by one direction it could not That you and I were built to reflect grace. That's a means of us sharing Jesus. And grace from you to someone else, get this, it may be an introduction to the grace of God for the first time. It's so uncommon. It's such an uncommon thing that it has the potential to change someone's life. And for some of you, that's your story. I've heard some of your stories. Somebody extended grace to you and your family. Or your workplace. That's why you're back in church or even why that you're listening today. And admittedly, a lot of us are handling a lot right now. A lot personally. A lot as we're, we're looking around at the world. Some of, us, some of us are running on fumes. Some of us are experiencing life as a whirlwind. We have stress that's up to here. So I think maybe, just maybe, more than ever, We need the witness of Joseph and an extension of grace. What if you would reflect grace? It's a simple thing. That's what I want to encourage this Advent. Reflect grace. And I'm not saying like all like this amount of grace. What if it's just like a little bit more? A little more grace. You know, many of us have our houses and our yards decorated for Christmas. And some of us really, I have to say this, have too much stuff, right? You got blinking and flashing and like the big things that blow up and you know I'm guilty of this as well. And we're, so we're ready for Christmas in many other ways, but are you ready to reflect the grace that came at Christmas in Jesus? Think of a couple of people in your life who you've been hard on who you've expected a lot from who have hurt you even maybe maybe even deserve to be punished but this advent season we remember first and foremost that christ christ came to dwell among us in us in us as imperfect people and our relationships will never work well if we don't give them some amount of permission to be imperfect as well. The beauty of grace, and the only reason being because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so I just want to pause here and to take a moment before we join at the Lord's table, that to listen to what God may be saying to you, revealing to you, maybe it's a a person or a place or uh, some place in your life that needs that little bit of grace. Maybe for you, it's receiving that from God. You've never done that before. You've tried to do, do, do. Maybe you just need to receive some grace right now from yourself, but also from the Lord. To Just pause to reflect and to listen.